96-7W. Classified top secret subject is... Hey, kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Lovely listeners, and welcome to. Oh, I forgot I was going to say that. <laughs> Hello. Mm. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to yet another episode of Hey Kids Comics. You forgot our name. I did, I forgot our name. <laughs> I forgot who we were. <laughs> uh, arguably, the best comics podcast on the internet that's hosted by a father and son. What if there are others hosted by a father and son and they have cocktail parties and. It's time for a sexy party! Uh, don't they just do the Benny Hill theme though? I don't know. It's what, what, what if they have free giveaways? What we don't have? We are free! This is free! Oh yeah. <laughs> that not count as a free giveaway, is it? I don't know if there are other father and son podcasts on the internet. It's a big place. There could be others out there, but I'm the only one we've ever heard, and thus, therefore, we are the best one of them. I could have easily said we are, without a doubt, the best podcast on the internet that has Oliver Nelson's theme for the Six Million Dollar Man as its opening credits. What if there is also another? I'm, I'm not aware of it, thus, that makes the statement We're the not untrue. Best comic book podcast ever, starring you and me. Excellent. <laughs> well, we can both agree on that one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Oh, you know one thing that is certain? What? We have the best listeners in the world. Do we? Yes, more See, and more. See, what if them. there's listeners out there to another podcast who actually pay the podcast? I want to know who that podcast is and how he's managed such a cunning ruse. Maybe he gives away free give- uh, freebies. This is free! <laughs> You're having a real hard time with this concept, aren't you? That we have free giveaways in that the show is free. Well, what about freebies? What do you mean freebies? What give away free gifts? Two True Freaks gives away free gifts. Do they? Yeah, they have competitions. Lots of competitions. What are we going to give away? Besides, think about it. I'm sure I have some old t-shirts somewhere. Why would anyone want your old sweaty t-shirts? Don't compete then. You don't compete in the competition. You don't get a t-shirt. Okay, whatever. Anyway, I was on about our lovely listeners, many of whom have been in touch this week. I see. Indeed they have. Charlie Niemeyer. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. What if it's... It could be Nymea, yeah. I suppose. Said hello. And that's pretty much it. He emailed hey, us and said, Hi, how are you? Like you. the show. And so I emailed back and said, Hey, thanks. I've, I've listened to a couple of yours as well. It's great. And we yeah. just had a general love fest. Arms across the ocean kind of thing. I reached out to our American compatriot. With your Reed Richards arms. I reached across the ocean with my Reed Richards arms and I embraced our American cousins. Does he want them back? I didn't give them in. <laughs> I, I stretched them back in when we finished. Oh, right, okay. Does Reed Richards not want them back? No. Oh. Reed Richards can't have his arms back, they're mine now. <laughs> <laughs> I just like my Hulk hands are mine. So thank you, Charlie. I will Iron be Man plugging. Next. I'm not touching anybody's helmet. I will be, t- <laughs> I will be touching. <laughs> I will be plugging Charlie's own podcast, 
mm-hmm. when we get to the promos part of our show. We have a promos part. We, well, we, we stick promos in willy-nilly. Often I forget to do it. I put one in the middle of a song one time. Yes, that's because you're an idiot. That was cool, I liked that. that, um, that I was... hope you did. <laughs> I didn't have you considered what if there are people that fast-forward through the songs? These packable episodes haven't had songs. Not that you know, because you don't listen back to them. No. So how do you know I don't just cut you out completely? <laughs> it's just me talking to myself. I, I, I reckon. I, I cut as much of you as humanly possible. I know. So thank you, Charlie. Um, yeah, we have a bit where we promo the People's Podcast, oh, okay. if I remember. If there's none in the episode, that means I've completely forgot. This is a tip for the listeners, a peek behind the curtain. Yes. If we just cut to a promo in the middle of an episode, it means I forgot to do it while we were recording, but remembered why I was editing. There you go, a little peek into so how my brain in works. in other words, just don't expect a promo. Expect, Charlie will expect a promo, I've promised him. I, I am a man of my word. Yes. Anyway. I'm um, still waiting for you to uh, buy me a Buzz Lightyear. You were sick on your Buzz Lightyear. And you promised to buy me another one They're for nostalgic reasons. Now. You promised. That was cheap. You promised. Oh, think about it. Anyway, as I've said before and will probably say again, Michael Bailey sent us his weekly email. Another. I love these. Okay. His emails are so well written. He, so well thought he, he out. Always, he always compliments you. He, he, he never he agrees said, with nice me. The ass said he agrees with you. He agreed with you about stupid lists that tell you what order to read your comics in. Whereas I thought that was, and and you and him ganged up on me. You ganged up on me, said, No, we want reading lists for our convoluted 700 part crossovers. And I acquiesced to your unreasonable demands and said, Okay, I can sometimes see where reading lists would be useful. Please don't beat me. And the pair of you stood there with your hands on your hips and your capes flapping in the breeze, going, Ah, we have vanquished the limey scumbag. And you went, But I'm a, oh, forget it. Yes, I'm just. Why, why does that down. sound cool? I don't know, it just is. <laughs> Do you want a cape? Yeah. yeah okay. Edna Mode wouldn't approve of you having a cape. Well, of course, you're a fictional character. I want a cape. I'm a fictional character. Hey. Yeah. I exist only through the medium of podcasting. Other than that, I don't exist. So when we finish, you like cease to exist. I cease to be. Yes. You put me back in my little box and hide me under the stairs for another week. <laughs> Every now and again, you'll drop by with the comics and read this for next week, and I'll go, okay. Drop fish heads in there. Yes, drop fish heads. Anyway, Michael uh, has responded about our Action 900 episode. An episode I thought would have would have got more feedback, to be honest with you, but... Talking some time. It, well, it's well, okay. We did this podcast weeks ago. Yeah, well, he had 20-odd episodes to catch up on. I know, I was joking. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I think I've got quite a few to catch up on. Yeah, yeah. you've never listened to any of our shows. <laughs> Listening to it once is enough. Yeah. Uh, Michael's email, he said, I was fascinated with the conversation about the incident. Were you? Yes. Not me. (laughs) Michael, email, I'm reading now. I'm quoting another person. Right. Okay. Uh, As he said on Superman Forever Radio, no other story had a better name than that one. Very true. Mainly because you guys are from across the pond, so theoretically there shouldn't be as much emotion around the issue. Because of this, Andrew's arguments caught me by surprise, and I was... I don't know how to describe it, really. I thought it was really cool that someone who wasn't an American had such an issue with him renouncing his citizenship. I think Andrew had more of a problem with it than I did. Um, he's probably right. Okay. I just thought it was a dopey story. So he's agreeing with you again? He, I don't think... If Michael didn't seem overly bothered by it. He just thought, uh, this'll pass. And he was right, it's been ignored. Yeah. So all that ire, all that rant, all that bile 
for naught. What a waste of time. I should have just gone for a... Got some entertainment. It'll have forgotten next week. Anyway, we shall continue. Having said that, I did have some other problems with the story. Most of them centred around the fact that Superman and other super folks should not involve themselves in real-world affairs. Isn't that what I said? Yeah. Um, like, I have no problem whatsoever with them being an analogue. So, like, for example, if there was a major terrorist attack by, um, name me a Marvel terrorist group. Hydra? Hive's yeah. DC. Is it? Yes. Yes, it is. The Hive is DC. Sure? Hydra. Yeah, AIM is Marvel. Hive is DC. Who are Hive, then? Something to do with DC. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So um, who are the ones with a B? That's of AIM. Is it? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, Hydra. Hydra will do for the sake of our argument. Okay. okay. Hydra attacks... Marvel Universe New York with right. a major terrorist attack okay. and Captain America is drafted into service yep. to go and do black ops operations every now and again and also to lead troops okay. in some fictional battle against this fictional terrorist group. I have no problem with that right. because you can use that to sneak in your little social political commentaries and all that stuff but at no point is it a superhero involved in a real life event. Whereas this involved him in real... Anyway, I've gone off the topic, though. They can be relevant and talk about certain issues in a roundabout way. I just said that. But having Superman stand between the army and protesters is a bad idea. Thinking this idea through to its national conclusion, natural conclusion, let's say Superman does continue to fight between a foreign national's military and the citizens that are protesting. At some point, someone is going to do something stupid. It could come from either side. Either a member of the military doesn't like the cut of someone's jib and has had it with Superman sticking his nose into their affairs and wants to force the issue. Or one of the protesters thinking that Superman will help them does something to rile the military. Shots start getting fired and at that point Superman has a decision to make. Either help the protesters and somehow, most likely by force, put a stop to the violence. Now, Superman has engaged the army of a foreign nation and that will have major consequences and might put Superman on a slippery slope of having to take a more active role in world affairs, which could lead him to one day think, these people don't know what they're doing. I have to take over. See, why do we think about this more than the professionals at DC Comics Land? Because the professionals at DC Comics Land are going they're giving us money. Let's write whatever drivel you want. by the sales figures, we're not giving them that much money. The other angle is what will Superman do if there is an alien invasion or Darkseid comes around for a duel? Does he leave the peaceful protest in one nation to save the world? And what happens to all of the other people he could help in other parts of the world while he's spending a day standing around Iran? Sorry I wasn't around to save him from falling out of that building, Lois. I was too busy hanging out with the refugees in Afghanistan. It just doesn't work. Hanging out at camera Refugee. Yes. <laughs> Superman should stick to doing what he does, saving people from big picture threats, fighting his own rogues gallery, or throwing people into the sun who deserve it. <laughs> Scott Gardner's loving this now that we've mentioned Superman throwing stuff into the sun. Really? Yes. Uh, as for the other stories, I have not read through the main one. He's waiting for someone to send him the other issues of Action Comics. But he read someone through... Someone send us the other issues Yes, of if somebody wants to send us the other issues of Action Comics, that'd be great. Uh, skim through. I enjoyed Lifeboat a lot more than you did, Andrew, but had the very same thoughts about why this guy's saving Jarrell's kid and not his. I hated that fracking mm. story. Everywhere else I've been on the internet, they fell in love with it. They've poured... So much love and joy, and this was a br- Mark Miller. Yeah, Mark Miller said this is what comic stories should be. It was boring. It was dull. The artwork was dull. The story was stupid. I hated it. Yes, we also see what Mark Miller said about Green Lantern. What did Mark Miller say about Green Lantern? Looks like it uh, looks like the budget was eight quid. 
The film? Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Well, I haven't seen the film yet. Uh, also, I was always more of a fan of a Jor-El that did everything himself. Lightboat was a decent enough story, but then the Eld failed on a few key fronts. I don't even think it was a decent enough story. I thought it was shite. <laughs> All in all, this was a worthy anniversary issue, but not the best. For me, when it comes to action comics, you can't beat 500 in terms of story, 600 in terms of nostalgia. 500 was when was he, he fights because he's just died, so he teams up with Park Kemp and fights. No, it was Adventures of Superman 500, wasn't it? Do you know, I'm, I'm forgetting. <laughs> uh, action Comics 600 was the John Byrne one, yeah. where he teamed up with Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Yes, fighting for our rights in her satin tights. <laughs> um, and very nice satin tights they are, too. Uh, especially when it's Linda Carter. And it had um, Byrne and George Perez artwork, and then it had a bunch of other backup strips. Okay. That was a very, very good issue. And it's republished in Wonder Woman Beauty and the Beast Volume 3 that I have on the bookshelf here. Wonder if you want to read it without digging through lots of long boxes. And Action Comics 500 is Superman This Is Your Life Story which I don't think I've ever actually read. I may have read it in reprint. Let's have a look at Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics which is a fantastic website that you can spend hours on. It's www.dcindexes.com It's a fantastic site there. And Action Comics Action Comics 500 was the life story of Superman which was 64 pages according to this site. I don't recall if I've ever read that one. Okay. It's got a nice cover though. It, My favourite anniversary issue of Superman is Superman 400. Which one's that? Uh, the one with the Howard Chaking cover and a Frank Miller back cover. And it's lots of little separate small vignettes. One's by Jim Sterling, if memory serves. One's by Frank Miller. Okay. There's a burn poster in it. Frank, Superman 400 is my favourite Superman anniversary issue. 500 is my second favourite version of the Silver Bronze Age origin, and 600 came out right after I started collecting the Superman books. My eldest sister, Murray, gave me a first copy on my 12th birthday, along with a tape of three episodes of the Fleischer series. Can't beat memories like that. It's very true. We were on about that last week as well, weren't we? Our digital downloads. Oh, yeah. You know, you just don't have memories associated with digital downloads. Empire Strikes Back, which means he must have listened to one of our Star Wars epics. Epic. Empire is my favourite Star Wars film of all time. It's the best written, has the best directing, and the actors brought their A-game to the material. I have both the Marvel Super Special of the adaptation, but I have yet to read it. What? What? Why? Get ye to your Marvel Super Special and read your adaptation of The Empire Strikes Back. Why would you buy something if you're not going to read it? Is that a dig at me? <laughs> It was a bit, actually. Yes. Looking Shut up. Put my bookshelf. bookshelves. What's the point of having a bookshelf full of books you've read? What's the point of having a bookshelf full of books you've not read? So that if you ever <laughs> want something to read, you just go to the bookshelf and go, oh, I fancy I read Robin Year One last week. But what if you spent... Very good it was, What if too? you spent money on it and it turns out to be utter... What, do you think all that just materialised? <laughs> you think my bookshelves just appeared as if by magic? I've spent money on it. What do you think I've no. done? Right. Anyway, well, while you peruse the bookshelves in an effort to prove me wrong, uh, Michael continues, I need to, though. Both your show and Two True Freaks made it seem like must-reading. Yes, the adaptation of The Empire Strikes Back is very good. Not, in my opinion, as good as the adaptation of Star Wars, which just has more stuff in it. But both of them are better than the adaptation of Jedi. John Byrne? is his next subheading. John Byrne is responsible for the comic collection I have today, and I guess he's indirectly responsible for all of the podcasts I take part in. 
the story you went through seemed very cool. Yes, um, Critical Error is excellent. It's very, very good. Track it down if you can. It's not expensive, I wouldn't have thought. Um, I must admit that I'm not too familiar with Burns' work outside Marvel and DC, but this story seems like it's worth tracking down. Yes, it is. Uh, also, so is John Burns' Next Men, if you never got a hold of that. Right, and I, I actually see, ha, and I actually quite like Danger Unlimited as well. And if it's any reward, uh, our daughter, your sister, loves Babe. That's it for now. I will write again soon. Yes, do. Please write again soon. I love his little tag at the end. This post email was written by Michael Bailey, Superman apologist. Uh, our other email, because otherwise we're going to spend the entire episode doing emails, is from... Hey Kids Comics Extra or Hey Kids Extra Comics. We'll think about that. Reread emails. Stephen Lacey sent us an email. Hi Stephen. Proper British bloke. Is it? Yes. Proper British? You're proper British bloke. No, he's not northern. No, he is southern. Oh, southern. Yes, I believe he lives in London, which means that he must live. He must be able to see Pippa Middleton's arse on a regular basis. Because it's well known around the world that if you live in London, you're only a stone's throw away from Buckingham Palace. Who? Pippa Middleton. I say who? Our princess's sister, who everyone fell in love with at that royal wedding thing we had a couple of months ago. We have a princess. Is she not a princess? I thought she was a duchess. Kate Middleton, is she a duchess? I don't know. I don't care. That's so the aeroplanes. Those aeroplanes in the Yeah, the aeroplanes were pretty cool. So was the Aston Martin. That was pretty cool. Aston Martin? Yes, he, he drove her away in an Aston Martin. Anyway, okay. uh, hey guys. I finally got around to adding the podcast to my list after months of computer and internet issues resulting in a 50-plus podcast backlog to clear through. 50? Do we have 50 episodes? We don't know. Bloody hell. Uh, I really enjoyed the show and will be grabbing back episodes to listen to whilst on a narrow boating holiday in the near future. I had many laugh-out moments and it's great to hear some British and Northern, no less, accent amongst my many. And then it it just stops there. So I presume he meant to carry on and say my many other podcasts that I listen to. Right. I, I assume. Just a few notes. I like these. I like it when they email and tell us that we're stupid and don't know stuff. Happens a lot. Which I don't think is his intention, but I like it. <laughs> uh, Kilowog's resurrection was in the original graphic novel Green Lantern Legacy, the last will and testament of Hal Jordan. Obviously not that blast, given that he's back, which also re- featured the recreation of Oa and was the first step along the road to the resurrection of the Green Lantern Corps in Green Lantern Rebirth and Beyond. Oh! Do you know we were in Ikea the other day, me and your mum? No. They played Buggles, Video Killed the Radio Star. And um, doesn't it go, oh, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, oh, ah. And that's, that's where the Green Lantern Corps come from. Oh, ah, and it, it amused me all the way around Ikea. <laughs> I was very amused by it. Easily amused. Yes. Number two, the Dick Grayson rape, which is just <laughs> words that should never be together in a sentence. It does. Dick rape. Oh, dear God. The Dick Grayson rape was the culmination of his battle with Blockbuster 2. A plot that was almost all of Nightwing's solo title. (laughs) Yeah, I remember Blockbuster. He was good in the Chuck Dixon, Scott McDaniel stuff. I like that. In issue 93, Tarantula killed Blockbuster in front of an incapacitated Nightwing. Blockbuster at the time was copying Kingpin's plan from Born Again, taking Grayson's life apart. In a semi-catatonic state afterwards, Nightwing had sex against his will with Tarantula, who was female, just to be clear, on a rooftop before taking part in a tedious set of fill-in issues to get him into Gotham for the War Games crossover. <laughs> so not your traditional prison shower drop soap rape, but still a weird, uncomfortable and controversial storyline. I Just the whole thing's wrong. 
Yeah. The all-new, all-rapey DC, Dick as rape. Michael Bailey puts it. <laughs> Dick Rape by Blockbuster. Number three. <laughs> With regards to Deadman and Dick Grayson, the Nightwing Year One storyline confirmed that Deadman did indeed work at Haley's Circus, so you can't blame a crossover for everything. Although you can for nearly everything. Now, I've got Nightwing Year One yeah. on this very bookshelf there, yeah, next to Robin Year One. And we go let the cat in. And next to my six Nightwing trade paperback. So I have read that, so that's probably why it seemed familiar. The villain who does the thing every time he kills someone is Mr. Zars. Well, we know that now because we're covering Nightfall. Yeah. We couldn't remember who Mr. Zars was. We were mixing him up with Cornelius Sturt, weren't we? Who yeah. carves a tally notch into his skin every time somebody dies. He's the sort of villain I think we should be seeing in Nolan's Batman films. Yes! Mr. Yeah. Zars would be fantastic in um, a Batman film. Okay, unless they're doing, like, Bane. Yeah, unless they do a crap job of him. Someone who could freak the crap out of the audience in the same way the Joker did in The Dark Knight. Anyway, I had a blast with this episode and I'm really looking forward to delving into the back issues of the podcast. And I can only apologise for not getting on board earlier. Oh, don't apologise, mate. We're just glad to have you along. Even though we've been friends on Facebook for ages. Looking forward to the Nightfall stuff. The Nightfall trade paperbacks my first ever trade paperbacks bought for one ninety nine each from WH Smith's in Gloucester. But oh, so you must live in Gloucester then. Near Auntie Barrel. Okay. When Smiths decided that comics weren't worth devoting shelf space to in the mid-90s. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's quite quality. Thank you very much, Mr. Stephen Lacey. Stephen has produced a pilot episode for a podcast of his own called 20-Minute Longbox, which I'm hoping he will be premiering very soon because it was very good. Okay. And finally... Our third and final email of the week, so, you know, not exactly inundated, but I appreciate them anyway, comes from Dave Walker. Hi guys, loving your podcast, and glad to hear a comic podcast ooh, from ooh, this neck can of I do the it woods. In the can I do and it you are accent? not doing do an accent? Irish accent. No. <laughs> Enough of that last week, Bigora. I'm sorry, Dave. Um, as I live just across the water in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Anyway, in one of your earlier episodes, you brought up the book-length description used by Stanley regarding a Fantastic Four comic, and it wasn't really accurate as it's only around 22 pages. Thing is, I've always thought the book-length thing was just meant the story filled the whole comic book, as opposed to the shorter stories that would have appeared in the anthology titles that were around at the time. I've no idea if this was the case, but just wanted to share my thoughts on it. Keep up the good work, and sorry for anything ungrammatical, Dave Walker. We're sorry, very sorry. So very, very... We can't apologise enough, Dave, for last week's terrible Irish accents. I hope you forgive us for those. And thank you for your email. You should hear my Pogues impression. We should not, under any circumstances, hear your Pogues impression at all, ever. (laughs) No, no, no. Stop it. It was Christmas. Oh, <laughs> shut up. We're going to put a promo here because we're already 25 minutes into the episode. Oh, uh, God. What do you remember when we, our goal was to keep these to an hour? Mm. And then we're going to dip straight into Nightfall. They got cars, they got bars, they got rivers of gold. <laughs> oh, God. I hope Dave's still listening. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. (laughs) 
Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the Burn reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. I've completely forgot that we didn't say who we are and what we do. Yeah, we did. I said we're Hair Kids Comics, but I didn't say that you're Michael Leyland. No, I'm not. Who are you then? Spartacus! And I'm Andrew Leyland. No, I can sell for that. Yeah, okay. And this is episode three of our epic... Epic. 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 Look at Batman Nightfall. Batman 496, hot little comic in my hot little hands, continues the story with Nightfall Part 9. It came out on May 11th, 1993, and is cover dated late July 93. The cover, Kelly Jones again, has an adult-looking Batman, Seriously, he's sweating and foaming at the mouth. Putting the smack down on the Joker so hard, blood is dripping from his fist, while Robin Mark II, Jason Todd, goads him on as a shadowy spectre. How do you know it's Jason Todd? Because he's not wearing Tim Drake's costume, and the Joker killed Jason Todd, so it doesn't make any sense that it would be Dick Grayson, does it? What if it is, like, Tim Drake in a... a because his costume was Now you're just being deliberately contrarian. <laughs> it's Jason Todd. But suck it up and deal with it. My God, you're hard work. Um, I like that cover. I like the use of the colour on the Joker's coat. I like that it's coloured black with purple highlights. I think that's really cool. Uh, the only problem I have with that is the bat emblem looks like it was pasted on later. Hmm. And it's wrong. What, what's going on with that bat emblem? That's cack. What do you think of the cover, Michael? I quite like it. It's a good cover. Uh, do you think that's Kelly Jones' best cover yet? Mm-hmm. It will be superseded with the next issue that we cover. Look at his arm. Oh, I don't mind. It Kelly Jones has exaggerated anatomy. You either get behind that, yeah, or so you like don't. It's doubled in length, and it like goes like that. Yeah, well, you know, whatever. Um, the story is called Die Laughing. It's written by Doug Munch and pencilled by Jim Aparo. The Aparo inker this time is Joseph Rubenstein, who's had a long career as an inker. The splash page is quite interesting in that one of Batman's ears has been snapped off. But that's because he was wearing his no-flex fire-retarded coat, isn't it? That... Ah, uh, though, with a scratchy line oh, the, across yeah. his costume, reminds me of the artist who's doing the flashpoint Dick Grayson and Dead, Dead Man. I don't know who that is. No, but I've not, read that. I've, I've not read any flashpoint. Batman stumbles away from his fight with Firefly, a little worse for work, which the Joker and the Scarecrow see on TV. Joker thinks it's time he brought down the Batman once and for all, although this causes a bit of friction with Scarecrow, who wants to destroy the entire city, not just Batman. Batman, meanwhile, has changed his costume and gone straight back out, heading to Mayor Krull's mansion. Bullock also heads into Krull's mansion, tripping a booby trap that Batman has to save him from. Why are the police portrayed as complete bubble-headed boobies in these stories? Oh, shit. Uh, Kroll isn't there because the Joker and the Scarecrow have taken Kroll underground to the Gotham City sewer. The Joker lets God know where he is because, of course, he wants Batman to know and blow some stuff up. Bane watches on TV. He knows Batman is nearing breaking point and figures the Joker should be just what he needs to make him snap. Batman arrives and enters the sewage tunnels against Gordon's advice. He finds the Scarecrow quickly, but Scarecrow hits him with a face full of fear gas. He faces nightmarish visions of Robin Two's death, beaten with a crowbar by the Joker, but still takes out the Scarecrow handily. 
He promptly finds the Joker and kicks the crap out of him for four full pages. Scarecrow intervenes and finding the Joker's rocket launcher on the floor, fires it at the ceiling. The water starts seeping through and the Joker notes that Batman can't capture them and rescue Murkrow. Batman grabs Kroll as the Joker and the Scarecrow escape and the roof cracks, letting in gallons of water. Now, now, Batman. Uh, temper, temper. Joker. Oh. 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 You idiot, Scarecrow. The fear gas only made him mad. In that case, let's blast him to Guano. Not the rocket launcher. This tunnel's under the river. You'll drown us The roof collapses as tons of river water flood the tunnel. And I have a choice. To seize the Joker or grab Mayor Kroll. But what choice do I really have? What do you think of that one, Michael? Uh, I, wasn't, I didn't like it. Why not? I thought this was quite a good issue, all told. Well, it was a bit dull. What was dull about it? Well, I wasn't fond of the artwork. Are you just not fond of Jim Aparo full stop? Or did you not like the Jim Aparo-Joseph Rubenstein combination? Yeah. So I quite like his art. Yeah, what? No, the last one. The last one, well, thank you. I, I, I quite like his art, but I didn't like it in this issue. Well, see, it is funny you should say that, because Rubenstein receives some stick in some quarters for being a bit heavy-handed mm. as an Inca. But I actually think he was by far the most respectful of the Jim Aparo pencil uh, Incas we've had so far. Mm. Um, Jim Aparo normally inks his own work, but I, I thought this looked like Aparo's work. You know when the Joker and the Scarecrow were at the beginning? Yeah. Uh, with um, the Mur? Yes. Here, it looks like they've been there for a long time, right? With all the food, though. Yeah, well, that could just be one serving at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Fair enough. Couldn't it? Corn curls. Yeah. Well, as we will find out when we get to next week's episode, the first issues that we'll be covering next week are the Two-Face stories. It says they took place three weeks ago. Right. And Batman's already knackered, isn't he? But they all seem to like take place. Yeah, the same so, well, night. see, that's my issue. If you're just reading the comics, it seems like so far they're all taking place in the same night. Hmm. So, yeah, so I don't know about that. The time frame of it does seem a bit screwy. Um, one thing I did think was a tad odd. On page two, the first panel, the woman news reporter chick looks like a man. Looks like a man, but also mentions that Batman was once again triumphant. I thought Batman was an urban legend. Or is that uh, after Zero Hour he becomes an urban... Because Ed Brubaker, or was yeah. it Robert K. Vaughan, Brian K. Vaughan, who does Wild Last Man, isn't it? Yeah. Was it him? One of them wrote a story called Urban Legend, and it was drawn by Scott McDaniel, so the art was fantastic. Yeah. And it was all about, is Batman real? So is it only after Zero Hour he was retconned into being an urban legend that people didn't know existed? I think so, yeah. Alright, so in this, at this point then he still appears on the news and nobody yes. thinks anything of him. Alright, fair enough. Page three, the Joker's musings about killing Robin are pretty damn funny. Um, besides, I've got it. We do it for novelty alone. I've never killed bats before. Got a snot-snivelling partner once. Although he seems to be back somehow. It's not quite Mark Hamill, is it? No. No. Okay. I quite like that. Though. I quite like that he just he just accepts Robin's back from yeah. the dead. He doesn't even think it's a different kid. Joker <laughs> does it all the time. Yeah, the Joker's died all the time. Yeah. Um, Bullock, I think, really needs to see Gok Wan. Okay. Because in his toughest challenge, in his yes. toughest challenge yet, he's wearing a yellow fedora 
a red overcoat, a purple suit, and a polka dot. Who dresses this man? Does he look in a mirror in a moment and think, that's a good look? He gets dressed in the dark. <laughs> in Gotham City. He gets dressed in the dark? <laughs> Is he blind? Matt Murdock dresses better than this. <laughs> He's drunk as well. God. I don't think Bullock drinks, does he? Did. I don't know. Can't remember. Um, I like this issue, despite what you said. I don't get how bombing the sewer system will destroy Gotham, especially given all the other explosions that have been going on in the past few issues. I don't see how this one would make any difference. Maybe all the pool gross everyone out. What, they all just run? <laughs> yeah. They all just flee? Eee, um, The Joker's body count in this issue mm. is very impressive. He kills the guard at the toll booth, numerous police and innocent bystanders at the entrance to the sewer, a maintenance officer in the sewer, a truck driver, and possibly another bystander. And he would have killed Bullock if not for that pesky bat. That's, that the sewer? That's not bad going for 22 pages. Were, was what in the sewer? All of us. Um, no, he kills a lot of them before they get into the sewer. No, but is it all set in place in the sewer? Yeah, well, they're all in the sewers there, aren't they? Just in the sewer tunnel. How close do you read these well, things? Well, I do, but it looks like we're in like an underground motorway. It's a pretty big sewer. Yeah. But maybe Gotham City has big sewers. For maybe all they have big rats. Or big poos. Or big poos. Yeah, <laughs> it's very possible. I just made a bad duty. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, Jim Aparo does a good job with the Batman's fear-induced paranoia on page 16. But I can't help but think what Norm Brayfogle would have done with that. Norm Bray Fogel's interpretation of Batman's drug-induced paranoia would have been fantastic. Mm. That would have been a full page of wacky surrealism. So that's that's just your opinion. You just didn't think it was very good. Not really. Yeah, okay. I thought this was an enjoyable issue. As would be expected by this point, it is very much a chapter in an ongoing narrative. While I still think a newbie could pick this up and figure out what was going on, it's at this point it's paced as part of an overall story. For the first time, it looks like the Batman is going to beat the Joker to death with his burr hands. He's never really got that close to him before, because putting the smackdown on the Joker for four pages... Killing Joker. Do you not think the Joker would be in traction after this? Probably. Did he not like beat the crap out of him and killing Joker? I don't remember. Did he? Yeah, I don't remember. I'd have to look back at that, and I don't have that on my bookshelf down here. That's on the other bookshelf. I was looking through that the other morning. Well, yeah, killing Just joke. to try and do a point which I make for a future issue in this episode. Okay, fair enough. Um, there's some good ads in this. Um, one for the trade paperback of Sword of Azrael, which led into this story. And a reign of the Superman full page shot of Cyborg Superman holding the American cool. flag. Yeah, you, your favourite was Cyborg Superman, wasn't it? Mm. I like Cyborg Superman. He was my favourite. Um, the story, I need to stop saying um as well. Um, the story continues um, into Detective Comics 663. Um, 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 the Om song. Anyway, the story continues in Detective Comics 663. Well, he's got a sheet of paper. He's like, Omnicum. that was Rolf Harris, Rolf Harris yeah. in his cartoon. I watched time. him at Glastonbury. Yes, he was at Grand Glastonbury last year, wasn't he? Yeah. He was very funny. I quite liked him. Two little boys had two little toys, and they both had a wooden horse. 
Where's your kangaroo? Oh, tie me kangaroo down, spot. Tie me kangaroo down, spot. Tie me kangaroo down. All the floods. Are we going to have to apologise to our Australian listeners now? We've apologised to the Irish listeners. Yeah. We've apologised, apologised, but we've (laughs) paralysed. We've apologised to the American listeners for introducing them to pee wet. And now we have to apologise to the Australian listeners for a good eye. Tie me kangaroo down, spot. What's pee wet? Pee wet, it's peas, mushy peas. Did you not know? How can you consider yourself northern? My god, I'm so I thought they were called mushy peas. No, no, pee wet. Why pee wet? I don't know, it's just what it's called, because it's peas and it's wet. Why not wet pee? No, that's just silly. That's almost as silly as deep frying Mars bars. Now I'm apologising to the Scottish listeners. This is just <laughs> terrible. Uh, Detective Comics 663 had an on sale date of May 18th, 1993, and a cover date of early July 1993. The cover is a close up of the Batman as he takes on water, sinking beneath the work. The work? The murk as rats chow down on his face. Yeah. It's pretty damn good. And. Batman 496 held the title of best cover so far for only one issue. That's rough, isn't it? Because that is the best cover so Yeah, that's a fantastic cover. Close up of Batman's face. I like all the black As he sinks under the water with all the rats clawing on his face. Oh, that's just icky. He'd be dead already if he didn't quite. Well, he's taking on sewage water, so that's not going to help him, is it? That's a fantastic cover. The bat. And the top corner is slowly becoming half eclipsed Ooh. as we enter Nightfall, Chapter 10. And what happens when it is half eclipsed? Oh, well, we'll come to that after this, won't we? Um, the story inside the fantastic cover is called No Rest for the Wicked. It's by writer Chuck Dixon and artists Graham Nolan and Scott Hanna. Batman and Mercroll are swept away by the deluge. He wraps Kroll up in his cape and using his rebreather. Like the Jedi, Batman carries a rebreather with him wherever he goes <laughs> to swim down into the murky water. He finds the tunnel walkway and swims back to Kroll. He knocks him out with a Versed. What's Versed? And wraps him in an... Oh yeah, it's just a knockout drug of some description, isn't it? Yeah. He knocks him out with Versed and wraps him on and wraps him in an ur pocket inside his cape, and then swims back with Kroll in a firefighter's lift. On the way, the rebreather runs out, giving Batman only four minutes of ur left in his lungs. The Batman gets to a hatch that is rusted shut. A small pocket of ur allows him to grab a breath, and he tries to move the rusted hatch. It finally moves, and Batman and Kroll get out, exhausted, but still alive. Outside, Gordon and co. wait for the Batman. Kroll wanders over to them, dazed but alive, as Batman disappears again into the night. But unbeknownst to the dark night, he has been watched by Bane's men. At the impound office, the ventriloquist is reunited with his Scarface doll in the best scene in the book. Mm. I love Scarecrow. Scarface. <laughs> Scarface. Every goddamn week I do that, don't I? Yeah. Trog, one of Bane's men, makes a move on the Batman. Despite breaking <laughs> Batman's really? rib with the not like that, with the masked manhunter takes him down, albeit with difficulty. Despite breaking Batman's rib, the masked manhunter takes him down, albeit with difficulty. Zombie, a knife expert, attacks next. Batman takes this one out with no problems. The final member of the triumvirate, Bird, has his falcon attack Batman. The Batman's had enough of this <laughs> and pounds seven bells out of Bird. Worn out, the Dark Knight takes off. He arrives home and exits the cave into Wayne Manor, where Bane is waiting for him.
Damn it! Were we wrong? River cops are circling the area around the blast, Commissioner. What's the point, Montoya? If his honor was down in that tunnel when it blew, he's retired from office. Permanent. Bullock! Now, who thought they saw a body floating toward this bank? Uh... Commissioner! Over here! It's Mayor Kroll! I'll send for the paramedics. Your Honor, how'd you escape the tunnel? We almost gave you up. Uh, he never gave up. The Batman? Grabbed me in his cape. It, it formed an air pocket. <coughs> well, he swam to an emergency hatchway. It was jammed, but he opened it somehow. His lungs must have been bursting. He, he never gave up. Where is he now? Does he need help? He must, but he staggered away. I heard his car start up. Guess he's gone home to rest. God knows he needs it. Ooh, what are your extensive notes on this one, Michael? Right. You know on page one where he says, maybe he'll like <laughs> yeah, himself to That's death. very funny. Wasn't that a line in Killing Joke? Uh, I can't remember, to be honest with you. It's been a while since I read The Killing Joke. Um, I do love that bit. Yeah. Joker's probably giggling himself sick right now. Maybe he'll laugh himself to death. I just thought that's just got a right tinge of black humour. Hmm. The, the, the irony of the Joker laughing himself to death would be brilliant. <laughs> um, also, how long has Scarface been completely white like that? Uh, has he always been white, hasn't he? No. Has he not? No. Are you not mixing it up with the animated series? Why has he always been white in the comics? I think so. Oh, okay. I, I don't think he, he's been of any kind of colour. Anyway. Um, and also, you know Zombie? Which one's Zombie? Him, with a knife. Oh, yeah. I've only just realised, but he looks like one of the exam invigilators at my school. <laughs> Does he? Yeah. Uh, he also looks a bit like um, Richard O'Brien from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Doesn't he? I've not seen Rocky Crystal Horror Maze. Yeah, oh, Crystal yeah, Maze. Yeah, yeah. I used to watch Crystal Doesn't Maze. Doesn't he look like Richard O'Brien? Yeah. yeah, he used to love the Crystal Maze. And who's going to play this physical game? Obviously. It's not mentioned in the story anywhere, but the Joker and the Scarecrow managed to get <laughs> Joker. past the Jerkers made a comeback. The Joker and the Scarecrow managed to get past the uh, crack Gotham Police Department because, um, if memory serves, they left just before the Batman did. Oh, I like that. And uh, but they've managed to escape. The police didn't notice the clown yeah. and the Scarecrow. I like the close-up of Batman's expressions on page six, where he's trying to undo the. Um, yeah. The lock. Yeah, it's pretty damn good. Um, very little subplots here. Just a quick appearance by the ventriloquist as the action builds to the climax that has been coming for over six months at this point. Batman versus Bane. Um, the art's very Brian Bolland. Do you know what I think? Well, Especially I page 11. And at times it looks a bit like Scott McDaniel. No. No. If we go back to the they page don't look we were just like on, Scott McDaniel. go back to the page you were just on. Yes. Close to Batman, close to it looks like Scott McDaniel a bit. Yeah, a bit slightly. Oh, slightly. But Scott McDaniel's fantastic. Why is Scott McDaniel never drawn Spider Man? Because. Because Marvel of stupid. DC only? I don't think he. Does he what does he do at the minute? Does he work for DC? I'm not sure. Is he on a new book? In the new know. new relaunched DC universe? I don't think so, no. Right. I'm sure I saw his name on something. I'll have to, I'll have to consult. Um, I think that this is a particularly well-paced and fast-reading issue. What did you think? Um, I thought it was better than the last, to be honest. Uh, Chuck Dixon does action comic better than anybody else. There was a time where he was essentially writing lots of Batman books, Batman, Robin, Nightwing, Birds mm. of Prey, and every single one of them was fantastic. 
because he writes such economic stuff. There's an episode of Nightwing where it's just him and Robin running across rooftops for a night. Do you remember that one? No. Oh, that's a fantastic issue. Him and Tim Drake, Dick Grayson and Tim Drake, bonded. Okay. It's and there's an episode issue of Superman Chuck Dixon wrote as well. I also think it was drawn by Scott McDaniel, where Superman and Nightwing just hang out. Okay. And that's a fantastic issue as well. Chuck Dixon's brilliant. I don't know why he's not working at Marvel and DC anymore, but he should be. Um, Batman runs the gauntlet here, fighting against nature and man, all the while trying to stave off exhaustion and fatigue, like Khan in Star Trek. Khan! I grow fatigued. Oh, Ricardo Montalban, what a brilliant guy. Bane has constructed his plan efficiently and ruthlessly, but he's still a coward. He waits until his foe is at his weakest before he attacks, knowing that, under normal circumstances... Batman could take him without breaking into a sweat. Again, an advert for the reign of the Superman, this time featuring Supergirl and Superboy in a magnificent spread by Tom Grummet, who also provides an ad for the Teen Titans, which I have not read since George Perez left, to be honest with you, so I don't know if that was any good or not. Another advert for Sword of Azrael, the DC Universe page plugs the Atom. By Glenn Fabry. Yeah, but none of these... Uh, it's not Steve Dillon, not Glenn Fabry. None yeah, of these were as interesting as Dick Giordano's Meanwhile page. Um, I did love page 17 and 16 where Batman throws his cape at yeah. Trog, who on that panel looks like Grant Morrison. No, that um, was Zombie. Zombie, sorry. And um, Did you just bring up Grant Morrison? Yeah, sorry about that. Try not to do it again. Mm. Um, but it turns out it's just an empty cape and he takes him down from behind with no trouble whatsoever. That's what we like to see from our Batman. Anyway, before we get to the next issue... Which is a pivotable, 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 a pivotal chapter in the Nightfall saga. Here's another promo. Come on, I have an idea that Batman should look into this. And don't forget Robin. Look, the bat signal! Come on, chum, to the bat cave! It's the car, right? Chicks love the car. I don't play favorites. Every criminal must be brought to justice. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. I swear to God! Swear to me! Ah! Don't kill me! Don't kill me, man! I'm not going to kill you. I'd like you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. Legends of the Batman. Everything Batman from the beginning at BatmanLegends.com. Did you enjoy that promo, Michael, for a podcast? Another podcast? I thought it was exceptional. I did too. Yes. Yes. I need to listen to it. Next up is Batman 497. This was released on an unsuspecting public on May 25th, 1993, and has a cover date of late July 93. The cover is especially interesting. It has an extra half cover wraparound on it so that initially the reader can only see half of the cover, whilst a stark black and white half-eclipsed Nightfall logo can be seen with the caption You thought it could never happen. The breaking of the Batman. It's quite clever. 
Because if the books were stocked so only the corner could be seen, like they were when they weren't on spinner racks, this would stand out. When the half cover is opened, the full cover by Kelly Jones is revealed. A hulking Bane, fully steroided up on Venom, stands in the Batcave, bending the Batman backwards over his knee. It's a striking cover. Again, the usual complaints against Jones' exaggerated anatomy stand, but it would get your attention on the newsstands. Besides, if you've not got past the exaggerated anatomy thing, 11 issues in... No, he doesn't. <laughs> Stop it, gimp boy. Um, it <laughs> How am I the does, boy? The does that to you on that cover not look like Bane's gloves were added later? Painted on. Yeah. Well, if you look at it, it looks like his knee is part of Batman. Oh, yeah, the colouring's slightly off, It's been it? like that for a lot of issues previously. Yeah, the colour's slightly off, so the top of his thigh does look also, like... Also, the previous one, he's not wearing a mask, it's just coloured like that. Right, so you think Kelly Jones is lazy, then? No. Oh, okay, fair enough. The story... Oh, I've not asked you what you thought about the cover. What do you think of the cover? That it. That's your critical appraisal. I do like that the dinosaurs on the cover. I don't think that um, the anatomy of Bane looks too big because if you look at some of the messed up steroid dudes, they're freaking massive. Yeah, some of some of those really obsessive bodybuilders. Yeah, yeah with peanut heads. <laughs> yeah. I do like that the silver dollars on the cover as well. I yeah. like the silver dollar and the dinosaur. I do, yeah. The story is called the broken bat it's written by Doug Munch with pencils by Jim Aparo and inks by Dick Giordano the usual suspects of Adrian Roy Richard Starkings Jordan B. Gorfinkel and Denny O'Neill did the colours letters and editing respectively Bob Kane is credited with having created the Batman the issue can basically be summed up by saying that Bane spends 22 pages beating up on Bruce Wayne before finally snapping his spine but Michael is here with a full synopsis Indeed I am. Bane tells Bruce that he wants Gotham, and then spends 22 pages beating up on Bruce Wayne before snapping his spine. <laughs> That's really your synopsis. <laughs> I can't decide whether that's just incredibly lazy or genius. Let's go with the latter. Let's go with the latter. Genius. Yes. I applaud you. Bless How Bruce much work have you put into this episode, really? A lot. So far you've written four lines and your synopsis is a line and a half. You can't do more than that, to be honest. Oh, dear God. Oh, fine. Okay. It's pretty much just Bruce going, all of it, I didn't come to this, all the years. And When did he become William Shatner? <laughs> He's too Hefner, so he's like... <laughs> Oh, alright, well let's just go straight into notes. Page one. Bruce is drawn to look haggard and tired and the narration boxes are all Bruce's thoughts throughout the issue. A technique I think Frank Miller popularised that has now, by and large, replaced caption boxes. Um, it's a good storytelling technique in the hands of a good writer. In the hands of a bagged writer, it's just annoying. Page two. Bruce learns that the Venom drug uh, is what's fueling Bane's overtly muscular Interestingly, or I thought it was interesting, there's a scene in the novel by Danny O'Neill where Bane has problems performing sexually <laughs> with a bunch of <laughs> prostitutes, which is a direct result of his reliance on Venom. This is not in the comics. <laughs> oh, I would have thought obvious reasons. It should have been. Yes, but he ends up killing those prostitutes and Batman gets blamed for it because he carves a bat on them. Uh -huh. Again, I think I've mentioned that before, but yeah. it's not in the comics. Uh, page three, and throughout the issue, Aparo's drawings of Bruce 
look suspiciously like nuanced character actor David Hasselhoff. Do you know what I think? Especially page three, panel three. That's David Hasselhoff. I'm David Hasselhoff. I'm David Hasselhoff. I can just see him running in slow motion. They're getting away, kid. You've got to reach out. Take hold of my hand. You've got to reach out till you're safe on dry land. That's the bionic man, you doofus, not Baywatch. You know, we were talking. Run, Yasmin, run! We were talking about fan fiction today, and uh, the one I came up with was Michael. The Knight Rider one. <laughs> yeah. do, 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 do your friends know what slash fiction is? Yeah. They write it. Who do they write it about? The anime characters. Oh, right. So, like, so there's a girl called Annie Mae. That was Spy Boy. That was that Spy Boy, yeah. Oh, Michael. Grab onto my handbrake. Uh, page three. <laughs> We've mentioned that he looks like David Hasselhoff. The panel structure of page four yeah, is particularly good. Um, it's kind of hard to explain on an audio medium, this, this you know, visual representation. But Aparo has the page laid out, so the top right panel, page three, ends up actually being part of panels four and five. And it's really well done because it's never confusing about how to read it um, I was quite impressed with that mm. I don't normally associate wacky panel layouts with Jim Aparo but that was uh, pretty damn good to be honest with you uh, page 5 panel 1 it seems a bit churlish to point out a colour and mistake but suddenly Bruce is wearing a green cape <laughs> yeah I noticed that um, so, so I presume that's just a printing error rather than a colouring mistake I don't believe somebody as professional as Adrian Roy would make that mistake mm. I think the colours just bled in from the background. Um, I do like Hugh Hefner Batman in the opening pages. Bruce has got a bat suit on, sans cape and cowl, with a playboy robe over the top. All he needs is a cravat. <laughs> and he could be auditioning girls for Playboy Mansion. Uh, when Bruce pulls on the cowl on page five, he almost transforms. And we believe he'll pull through this and kick that crap out of Bane. However, the very next page quickly dispels that notion. Bane catches him with a backhand and proceeds to lay the smack down on him from the get-go. From here on in, the story is largely flashback panels showing what Bruce has been through over the last few days and how much it has physically and mentally wore him down. Some of these panels do actually look quite painful. I'm looking at you, page 7, panel 1, where Batman is punched by Bane into um, the clock that leads the way to the, the, the back cave and head you don't first. head first yeah oh that must have hurt but again the Batman is really stupid here mm. now I love Nightfall I think it's a great story it's very gripping it's a very fast read uh, and it does have a point to it it's not just a pointless crossover for the sake of it but I think that the aftermath Night's Quest and Night's End and more prodigal um, are better because they show why Bruce is Batman and how no one else can be just like the funeral for a friend and the reign of the Superman were much better than death of, the follow-up and aftermath of this story is better than the actual setup. Uh, I do think overall Nightfall did a better job than death of, but both stories are about what happens after the big event. However, in this issue there are a number of ways Batman could have taken Bane out if he was thinking properly. But I presume the point is that he's not thinking properly mm. at this point. Um, page 9... Um, after kicking the crap out of Bruce for the past six pages, Bane notes that Batman is already broken. 
uh, emphasised by the bottom panel of the page being a cracked back signal. Page 12, another two pages of Bruce having the crap kicked out of him. It's just, oh dear me. Um, Batman has home court advantage on page 12. Once they hit the Batcave, and he still gets his head handed to him, mainly because he's given up on page 13. He doesn't want to fight anymore. Now, did you not have a problem with this? A bit, yeah. Because, you say, I don't... Would Batman really have given up? Nah. I don't think he would. He gets a little pirate victory at the end where he refuses to say Bane's name as Bane's going to lay the final smack down on him. But this just annoys Bane so much he snaps his spine instead of killing him. In the novel... Batman spins round at the last minute and takes most of the punishment on his ribs rather than his back. He's still debilitated, but it's not quite as bad as if Bane had dropped him on his back. Of course, that's like saying Cheryl Cole isn't quite as vacuous as Katie Price. Um, the panels... You don't know who Cheryl Cole and Katie Price are? I did such a good job raising you. Uh, the final full-played splash of him breaking Batman over his knee is... I don't know, I don't know. What, what do you think of it? It's functional. Yeah, it's probably the best. It gets the point through. way of describing it. But I'll I don't get the panel border. It's breaking like glass. I don't like it breaking like glass. It just looks like it's funky or the red cross. Yeah, and then Bane just tosses him on the floor. What do you think? Um, I'm on page seven, panel two. Yes, that's a villain I'd be laughing my ass off instead of fearing. Yeah, well, wasn't that? That's just before Nightfall, so we've not actually read that, and mm. I don't remember who he was. But I don't know. He's got spikes on his gloves, so that'd hurt. He's got spikes. Was it on Crash? Him? I want to say it was Crash and Burn. Crap name as well. I can't. But I can't remember off the top of my head. He's spikes on his gift mask and he's spikes on his long gloves. tail that comes out of his head would probably hurt. Yes. Um, yeah. Also on page nine, panel three. Do you not think that la- that looks out of proportion? Yeah, Ben looks huge. And Batman kind of looks tiny. <laughs> a little tiny Batman, like the atoms being in and shrunk in. Bat boy. Bat boy. Yeah. yeah I'm enough. a cool bat boy. Uh, and also, you know when he gets the giant penny crushing him? Yes. Would that he... alone not break his back? Well, the way it's written, or drawn, I should say, the giant penny crushes his legs. Yeah. So if you have a look at that, it's underneath his buttocks. Hmm. So it's not actually on his back. That'd do so, some damage. Yeah, that. well, presumably that would have broke his legs. Yeah. Unless his suit's armoured in somewhere, but I don't know. I don't know. I just, maybe I just don't like seeing Batman getting beaten up by somebody as inept as Bane. But, um, I mean, I did think when he snaps off the stalactite on page 13 and then stabs him with it. Yeah. And then on which page is it where he falls to the floor? And falls on the top of page 18, and he falls on some of the case stalactites on the floor, and they cut through him. Oh, I mean, you didn't mention Alfred's still alive. He's not killed Alfred. And Alfred runs next door to get Tim Drake, and that's pretty much the only subplot for the issue, to be honest with you. Um, the Bat Signals letters page just has a big orange box that says Nightfall continues in Detective Comics 664 in two weeks, which it does. It is over. You are nothing. Robin. Beg for mercy. Scream my name. Go go to hell. You want death? I deny it to you. 
Comics 664 continues exactly where the last issue left off. Oh. Who Rules the Night, without the question mark, uh, was the title of part 12. It appeared in Detective Comics 664, which was released on June 8th, 1993, with a cover date of late July 93. Uh, it's another variation on Bane beating up on Batman whilst bats are flying in the background. Uh, it's okay. But I question the, the choice of pink as a background colour. I don't like Bane's thumb. Why not? Look at it. But yeah, it does look a bit weird. It I think like it's a, a bit churlish almost to criticise Kelly Jones' anatomy at this point. I'm sure he can draw a thumb. Well, yeah. Once again, it's a bit stretchy. Is this synopsis going to consist of more of than you just saying Bane beats Batman for 22 pages and then snaps his spine? Bane throws Batman on the floor. He gets to an ambulance. Yeah, do it properly, child. Yes. Bane throws Batman from the top of a roof into a crowd in the streets, screaming that he rules Gotham. Montoya and other officers reach Batman and call for an ambulance. The ambulance arrives quickly and the paramedics turn out to be Alfred and Jean Paul Valley in disguise. Whilst inspecting Bruce, Alfred says that his back may be broken. Dick tells him that they should send him to a Dick hospital. Dick doesn't do anything. What? Tim. Dick Grayson's not in this story. You're oh. mixing up your Robins. I now have to remember that for the rest of the notes. Yes. Tim <laughs> tells him that they should send him to a hospital and not just the Batcave. Back at the scene of where Batman fell, Jim Gordon gives Montoya a scolding for not checking who the paramedics were going or who they were. When he says they could have been one of Batman's villains, Bullock says that they could have been someone on his side. Taken aback, Gordon leaves. Over at the Joker's hideout, the Scarecrow tries. Yes. Over at the jo- a Joker's hideout. The Joker! Batman Triple X. Over at the Joker's hideout, the Scarecrow tires of Joker and attacks him, only to have seven types of crap beaten out of him and then abandoned. Yeah. Back at the cave, Alfred tells Tim and Bruce I got it that time yeah. Alfred tells Tim that Bruce is in a coma and needs a drug called Decadron Tim and Jean Paul Valley go in search of some and Tim tells Jean Paul Valley that there will always be a Batman when wondering where they could find the drug Tim says he has an idea and in a rundown apartment Sock and Scarface get in an argument and they shoot each other leaving the ventriloquist in a pool of his own blood Bessie in the book <laughs> Robin asks Gordon for a favour, the drug. Gordon tells Bullock and Montoya to pick up the package from a hospital and go to a drop point where the package is then taken by Robin and Azrael. Back at the cave, Alfred gives the drug to Bruce and they wait. I haven't even got any ransom money to continue my fear gas experiments. Fear gas? You might as well have squirted air freshener in Batsy's face for all the good it did us. I've had enough of your insults, Joker. Oh, stop. You're terrifying me. And I have a new fear gas mixture I need a guinea pig for. Uh, 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 the horror! The horror! Make it stop! Ah! Ah! 
Not bad, Crow. What other flavors have you got? Huh? I don't understand. Then let me explain with this chair! Loser! Skeleton! Our partnership is over! Good luck, Scarecrow. They're bound to rebuild Arkham Asylum. Maybe next time you'll get a straw mattress to go with your head! <laughs> That's half an hour. Bane throws Batman's body off a multi-story building from which he hits a rooftop below him. If you're watching this on page three. Uh, an awning. An outcropping of another building before smacking down on the tarmac. This is in addition to being beaten within an inch of his life and having his back broken. Um, DC were really going all out to convince yeah. the reader this was it for Bruce Wayne, weren't they? Yeah. Can you imagine reading this for the first time? It was pretty damn cool. Yeah. When you read this, yes, you read it all in one big chunk, didn't you? I did, yes. Why did you read it? Were you just going through Batman comics for the hell of it, and you came across this? No, I actually Oh, is this one of my it. recommendations? It was one of your recommendations. Right. And you said, ooh, Batman Nightfall. Did I tell you what it was about? Um, yeah, I knew about Bane breaking his back and stuff, but I read Death of Superman before. Hmm. And then I said, what next? And you gave me this. Right. Well, was that the first extended comic story out you read? The Death of Superman. Because I don't remember... See, I have vivid memories of why I started reading and when I started reading comics. Yeah. But with you, you've always just had my boxes lying around. Mm. What? When did you start? When I got tired of graphic novels and asked you, what should I read? And you're like, read this. <laughs> read this big box of comics. Yeah. Here you go. Do you have any hell, Blazer? Why, yes. Fud. Uh, yes. Because didn't you... There's an awful lot of stuff I didn't let you read that yeah. you discovered back at Mama's when no, we were having no, the house. No, you actually gave drunk. me them. It was, I've got nothing to read. All the comics are being packed up. Preacher. Good. <laughs> Here you go. That'll <laughs> keep you busy. <laughs> uh, yeah, didn't you read them at school and get in trouble? No, actually. Um, I read an issue of the dude wearing his other gimp mask. You and gimp masks, yeah. <laughs> I read that after a history test. Right. So... You, uh, see, I don't remember this. Had you read Superman and Batman before you read those stories? Or were they for the first stories you read? No, I read Superman and Batman before that. Yeah. Because you, you weren't... You were only seven or eight when you read these, weren't you? No, it was last year. Not for the first... You didn't read Nightfall for the first time last year. Hmm? Did you? It was either that or the year before, but yeah. It's two years since we had the house done. Then it was last year, then. And you were up at Mama's with my boxes of comics. Yeah. Hid in that attic. Yeah. There. <laughs> yeah, the mother-in-law had to look after my comics while we had the house done and Michael decided that he, he's not one for slumming it in a building site and he took himself off to his grandparents for a month and just lived in their room with my boxes of comics mm -hmm. and read them all at that point yeah, okay fair enough um, of the first four blah, 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 of the first four pages three are splashes not a criticism just an observation. The most affecting is page four, where Batman's broken body, complete with snapped ribcage oh, yeah. jutting from his uniform, and twisted back lies unmoving. Yeah, I didn't notice the ribs. Did you know? Did you not know? The costume is in tatters, there's blood pooling behind his head, and a crowd of onlookers gawk on. Most seem quite affected by the sight. Some turn away in horror. One kid cries. But the most interesting is the low life of some description. You just stand the there smiling. smiling yeah. yeah, the guy at the front. I have two issues with this. One, it's nowhere near as graphic as they would do it today. 
And two, why is there a kid out at this time of night? What kind of parenting is that? Uh, Come here, little Timmy. Let me show you the broken and beaten body of the Batman. That's a good night out. Oh, thanks, Dad. Let's go meet your mummy. She's been working hard for the past week and we'll go pay her a nice visit. What, and suddenly you're watching Batman get crushed before you? (laughs) That kid is in therapy for the rest of his life. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, dear me. My main problem with this issue is the very public defeating of the Batman. Batman's whole shtick is that he is an unstoppable creature of the night, more supernatural being than human being. This public defeat robs him of that. He's quite clearly just a man in a suit. I don't see how Batman can go back to being feared after this, to be honest with you. Of course, that's one of the main points of the second part of the series, Night's Quest. Uh, I do like that it's Alfred in disguise, complete with an ambulance. Where do you get an ambulance from? Does he have one in the cave? Maybe the back cave can change shape. Possibly. Robin, the back cave can change and grow wheels. <laughs> the Batmobile. Batmobile. Robin and Jean-Paul Vallée pick up Batman and they call on Commissioner Gordon to get them the drug they need to help with Bruce's injuries. Too often, and some of this is a bit of a criticism against Nightfall, Gordon's portrayed as inept or a pip-pushing bureaucrat rather than the intelligent and capable copper that he is. The Joker, still looking magnificent under the pencils of Graham Nolan, finally ditches Scarecrow and goes it alone, but not after nearly beating him to death. I was particularly fond of the scene where he sprays the Joker with his fear gas, and it has no effect on him whatsoever. Those three pages are actually pretty damn cool mm. of the Joker and the Scarecrow, particularly the last panel of page 12, after the Joker's kicked the cat out of the Scarecrow, beating him with a stool. Um, obviously taking out some of his aggression after being beaten by the Batman, because he's still scarred and got plasters all over him. Um, still good. The art on page 15, and the fourth panel on page 16, are particularly good. The shots of uh, the Batmobile zooming over, I presume it would be Brooklyn Bridge if this were New York. Yeah. Uh, it probably has a proper name on a map of Gotham City Gotham somewhere. Bridge. Is, it, is that what it's called? I don't know. Something original like Gotham Bridge. Yeah. Um, it's brilliant. So the artwork's fantastic. Uh, the best scene in the book, however, page 17 and 18. The ventriloquist glove puppets, Scarface and Socko, get into an argument with each other and shoot each other. <laughs> it's just brilliant. <laughs> That's great. Um, I don't remember if this is in the audio adaptation. If it is, I've not got there yet. I've still only listed the first two parts for listening to this. But that's just prill. I love that. He shoots himself. <laughs> oh, the ventriloquist should be in more comics. He should. If he's not dead. Uh, the ending to the issue is particularly downbeat. Bruce Wayne is in a coma. Alfred has treated him, but now all they can do is wait. And it'd be two more chapters to wait, as the next two Nightfall instalments won't even be in a Batman book. What a con! They actually appear in Showcase issues 7 and 8. 
Mm. Which we will be looking at in next week's episode. Um, did you like it? Did you think this was a good follow-up to Batman 497? Yeah, I, I quite like the first four pages. What, um, you, you like seeing Batman get beaten yeah, up? I especially like that second splash page, though. Well, on page two? Yeah. Uh, Graham Nolan's art in this is all pretty damn good, to be honest with you. He's one of those artists I don't think has ever really received his due, because he's not flashy by any means, but the artwork in this issue is, is brilliant. Um, arguably better than the artwork in Batman 497? Yeah. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, see... I have nothing against Jim Aparo. I like Jim Aparo's artwork. And Jim Gordon on page nine, panel four, really does look like Gary Oldman, hmm. doesn't he? Yeah. But, yeah, the art in this is brilliant. It's fantastic. Um, it's The art's quite Bollandy at times. Yeah, it is It is Brian Bolland. It's not a rip-off no. of Brian Bolland, but it is Brian Bolland-esque. And also, speaking of Bollandy... Bollandy. Um, the, the Joker's hideout. Yeah. I do believe I was flicking through, you know, I said I flicked through Killing Joke, and I do think that is the circus he bought in Killing Joke. Is it? Yeah. Would that not be an obvious place to look for him then? I don't if know. you were the police. Other than you not think about that. Because they thought he wouldn't go to the same place twice. I know, but surely it'd be worth checking. I suppose I saw this as well. Okay, go on. Right, okay. If you flick to that page with the ventriloquist. Mm hmm. You know that hobo that comes and sneaks up on him? Yes. And then runs away? Yes. Alan Moore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Page 18, panel 4, does look like Alan Moore. Oh, dear God. Anyway, that brings to a conclusion another four episodes, or issues, mm. or installments, or segments, or whatever you want to call them, of Nightfall. Next week... We will, of course, be covering 13, 14, 15, and 16. Um, but we will also have to squeeze in a three-part Shadow of the Bat story arc. Will we? Yes. Because Aww. it's not actually numbered. That's a longer episode. No, it won't be. We'll just do Shadow of the Bat as one issue. Oh, okay. We'll just read it and cover it as one. Because it's not numbered, but it is included in the trade paperback. Right. So I feel that we should cover it. Yeah. And then the week after that yeah. will be 17, 18, and 19. The end of Nightfall. How exciting is that? Very. I are are so. we then going to do Nightfall? Hey, kids, comments, couch potato. Oh, okay. Uh, we hope you enjoyed yet another exciting, well, I don't know if it was exciting, uh, episode of Hey, Kids, Comics. Arguably the best comics podcast on the internet that has the Danger Man theme tune as its end title music. How's that? What if there's another one? Don't keep ruining all <laughs> my fun! I'm sorry. Yes. Thank you to all the people who's given us shout-outs on their shows and thus pushed our figures up. Uh, John Wilson has plugged us. Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell have plugged us. Michael Bailey said nice things about us. Uh, and there's a couple of others as well. Charlie Niemeyer is going to play his power promo on his show and all of that stuff. Thank you very much to those people. And Michael and I will be back next week, every Thursday. You can mark your calendars by us. What if we miss a Thursday? If we miss a Thursday, we miss a Thursday. It's what, not the end of the world. What if I'm not here on a certain Thursday? Because you may be. I may have, a, have to invite somebody on the show yeah. to talk about something. Yeah. While you're it's not my fault if you're away, is it? Yeah. I can do about that. You paid for it. To get rid of you. It's worth it. Get rid of you for a week. Anyway, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Hey Kids Comics is and the devil will find work for idle hands to do production. Every Thursday, new episodes drop, 
at aplayland.podomatic.com. You can join in the fun. We have a website where you can view the covers of the comics that we talk about, www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com, and the show can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. If you're allergic to email, we also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com. We are also on Facebook. You can contact us using Hey Kids as the first name, Comics as the surname. The opinions of Michael and Andrew are the opinions of Andrew and Michael and no one else. Mainly because no one else would be dumb enough to have those opinions. The music and clips used in the show are copyright, their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this, much to their chagrin. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. (laughs) 